The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. Thanks, brother. Now I'd like to share from the Word of God as well, and I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 2 while you're turning there if you have a Bible. Just a couple of questions for you. This is particularly for the members of Creekside Community Church and the members of GBF Grace Bible Fellowship looking ahead towards this day of emerge, especially when you heard that, oh, we're going to merge. Here's some questions for our members looking back in hindsight or maybe even thinking about evaluating how you were feeling. What are your thoughts or what were your thoughts and your feelings about a potential church merge. Some of you maybe even carried those thoughts and feelings with you for the past six months, ten months, even all the way up until today. Maybe you're still in this category. What are your thoughts and feelings about a potential church merge? Well, there's a spectrum of answers for every single one of us. We've heard many of them. Some of you have told us along the way. Many of you were excited in a good way, believing that this is exciting what God is God is doing something, and God is doing something amazing. And you had just tremendous enthusiasm about the whole prospect every step of the way. So there's many that fall into that camp. There were definitely some of you who actually had anxiety. Hmm. Oh, wow. What? What's, the, what's this going to look like? What, oh, what does that mean? How is this going to work? And all the anxieties that came with it. That's a true emotion, a true thought. Apprehension was another one. Maybe some of you, I'm talking about members in particular, even had fear at the prospect of the two churches coming together and merging, for whatever reason. We expected all of those. We had heard feedback from all of you on all of those different thoughts and emotions. It's okay. That's why Justin and I, to kick things off, we each wanted to share from the Word of God, really zeroing in on just kind of one thought from one key passage from the perspective as a, a pastor and elder to help you address your thinking and also as a result, address your emotions. Your emotions flow from your thinking. And so our thinking constantly needs to be renewed, informed, corrected from what God thinks. Our thinking needs to be in line with what God thinks. We know what God thinks. He thinks right here. He's written it down for us in the Bible. This is the thoughts of the infinite, almighty God. So we each wanted to share a passage. I told Justin first what my passage was going to be, and then he told me a little later what his was, and it's just I thought it was a beautiful compliment because if you were paying attention to the passage that Justin just read and some of the key verses and imperatives there, the first verse in 14 says, I bow the knee. Who's that? That's Paul. Who was he? He was a pastor. He was a pastor of these people that he loved. So what Justin just preached on amounted to a prayer from a pastor for his people. And that's exactly what I wanted this to be for Justin and I. This is kind of a a devotional thought from God's Word as a a vision, uh, a prayer, a desire for this church for the next year. 
for the next few months so that we can get everybody thinking the same and in line with Scripture. And that's our pastoral desire. So Ephesians 3 is very appropriate. That's a pastoral's, uh, pastoral plea for his people of how I want you to think and behave and act and with respect to your relationship to God. And so they're a beautiful compliment. So I want to share from Philippians 2. If I were to summarize Justin's passage, just the main thrust there, a pastor was asking his people to walk, meaning live, live like a Christian. If you're a Christian, then live like a Christian. So that was Pastor Justin's heart's desire for you that we're going to, if you're a Christian, that you're going to live like a Christian the next, starting today and the next year and the next 10 years or whatever until Jesus comes. That's his pastoral desire for you. If you're a Christian, live like a Christian. Especially if you're a member, then live like a Christian. Live like it. That's the exhortation if you're reading carefully in Ephesians 3, which is a beautiful compliment because to what I want to read, Paul's emphasis here. Again, Paul, a pastor, talking to people where he was their pastor. He planted this church in Philippi. He loved these people. They weren't perfect. They were sinful. They had shortcomings. Paul knows it. He had shortcomings. Yet he reveals the mind of God so that they can be one people of God, practically speaking. And so I want to read Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and following. And Paul's desire as a pastor for the Philippians, at least in this passage, is that they would think like a Christian. Because the word mind comes up repeatedly. Your mind, Philippians 2, verse 2, your, the mind, verse 3, your attitude, that has to do with your mind and how you think in verse 5. So that, that's just a beautiful compliment. Pastor Justin, his heart's desire is that if you're a Christian, you would live like a Christian. My heart's desire as a pastor is if you're a Christian, that you would think like a Christian. They go together. We're Christians. We profess to be Christians. We need to think like Christians and live like Christians. So moving forward, Pastor Justin, we can remind people that aren't living right, I'll send them to you. If they're not thinking right, you can send them to me. And when I'm not living right, they can send me to you, and et cetera, et cetera. So, so live like a Christian, think like a Christian. So let's go ahead and look at Philippians 2 and just take away some jewels of, of thought from God himself and his word as to how we can practice these things corporately. There are some things I'm assuming, I'm assuming here, I'm talking to believers here uh, at Creekside Bible Church today. That's who I'm talking to. I'm assuming you're a believer, you're a Christian, and also I'm really honing in on our members this is my expectation for you. This is my expectation for me and for us as a church body moving forward, that we would think like Christians at the manner that Paul lays out here through the Holy Spirit of God. And because the end result or the byproduct of that is unity, not just unity, but unity in the truth. You can have unity that's not in the truth, right? You can have unity that's horrible. But this is, he's talking about unity in the truth. That's the only kind of unity. There's only one real way to have unity, by the way, from a biblical point of view that I think is key. If I were to, here's a sentence, and i got a blank at the end. You fill it in in your own mind. There can only be, from a biblical point of view, there can only be unity when people blank. It could be one word, several words. What phrase would you stick in there? There can, be only, there can only be unity when people blank. There can only be unity when Christians blank. You might say, uh, well, let's see, when they're believers. There can only be unity when people are believers. Uh, not necessarily. Because there's plenty of Christians living together, going to the same church, and they don't have unity. They have disunity. 
That was true of every church in the New Testament. Or maybe you're thinking, there can only be unity when people love Jesus. That's a good answer. Jesus is always the right answer, not in this case. You can have believers who truly love Jesus who aren't living in unity. That was true of some of the Philippians. They loved Jesus, yet they weren't living in unity. How do you get to that unity that is desired by God? There can only be true unity in a church when people dress the same. I know churches like that. There can only be unity when people look the same. There's churches like that too. Maybe your skin color, maybe your ethnicity, preserving that homogeneity, thinking that it preserves unity. It doesn't. There can only be unity when people speak the same language. No, not necessarily. What Paul's going to tell us, there can only be unity when, get this, people think the same. Really, it starts there. And Paul says that explicitly here. Let's go ahead and look at it. So my heart's desire for you as one of the pastors, elders here moving forward as Creekside Bible Church, is that we would live in unity, unity in the truth, and that we would always be monitoring how we think, and that we always have to work very hard to bring our thinking in a line with God's thoughts, as our thoughts naturally go astray. And it needs to be subjected to the Word of God. So here's Paul's plea. He's got people in the Philippian church. He loves this church. It's a great church. But he's got people in this church who don't get along. They're fighting with each other. This is a, a, an obedient church, a biblical church, and yet people are squabbling and fighting, and he needs to set the record straight. Wow, you guys need to work on this more deliberately. Therefore, fellow Christians in the church of Philippi here at Creekside Bible Church, therefore, if any, uh, talking to the believers there, therefore, if there is any encouragement or literally exhortation in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ personally, if you are truly a Christian, then consider Christ Jesus the one exhorting you to the following truth. That's what he means. Don't take it as just me, the Apostle Paul, talking to you. Consider Jesus exhorting you, saying this very truth to you. That's what that means. If there is any exhortation in Christ, if you consider Christ your advocate, your Lord, that is a precondition. It's a conditional statement. What's the next one? Well, if there is any consolation of love. Since you say you're Christians, you must have the love of God wrought in your heart through the Holy Spirit, which happened when you were saved, according to Romans 5 and Galatians 5. If you're a Christian, you have the love of God at your disposal. If you're truly a Christian, there is no excuse for you to be squabbling and in strife and fighting with your fellow believers in the local church inexcusable. That is not love. It undermines the love of Christ. That's what that means. And he says, if, if, if these are conditional statements, and he's assuming that they are true. I assume that you know Christ personally. I assume that you have the love of God literally at your disposal through the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's setting them up for success. He's setting them up for no excuses for failure on this. Compromising unity. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, literally koinonia, if there is any partnership with the Holy Spirit. Once again, if you're truly a Christian and the Holy Spirit literally lives in you, that is true of every Christian. If you're a Christian, it's true of you. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God literally living in you, supernatural power from God himself that will enable you to fulfill the command that he's about to give, and that's to live in unity. So you know Christ, you have the love of God in your heart, you have the Spirit of God literally living in you, who is your partner. If there's any affection and compassion you hurt in your gut, 
about the things that God is hurt about. You love the things that God loves, meaning you should be like-minded. If you're really a Christian, you should be like-minded with God. And if you're like-minded with God and you're like-minded with Jesus, you must be like-minded with fellow believers. That's a mandate. It's not an, an option. Then if all these things are true about you, in other words, he's saying, if you're really a Christian, then you are obligated to do the following. Make my joy complete. Paul wasn't satisfied. You're saved, amen. You're growing, amen. You ain't there yet. I'm not completely satisfied as a pastor or an apostle. You got to fill up my cup. It's not quite there. We got some squabbling going on. We got some work to do. We got some unity to preserve. So make my joy complete by being of the, and here's the key, being of the same mind. Think alike. That's where it starts. Being of the same mind. That's verse two. You can't get along until you think alike. You can't have true unity until you think the same thing. And the thing that, and what you have to think on, think the same thing about is God's word, biblical truth, right here. Starts there. So make my joy complete by number one, being of the same mind. That's my plea, that's my heart's desire. That's my main exhortation for you this morning and for us as a church moving forward, that we would think the same things about God's word, about the gospel, about biblical truth. It all starts there. If we can't have harmony there, there won't be harmony anywhere else. If we can't have harmony there, the harmony we have elsewhere doesn't even matter. That's secondary. Being of the same mind. Now, and when Paul or the New Testament exhorts us as to how we think, that is a command. Therefore, it's an obligation. It's not an option. It's an imperative. When God gives a command, it therefore is obligatory on our part. And if we don't do it, it is sin. It is disobedience. This is a discipline. It takes hard work. We can't be lazy thinkers. That's what he's saying. You need to be of the same mind. You need to be thinking the same things about biblical truth. And if you do that, then you're going to maintain the same love. And you've got to work hard to maintain your love with one another. You've got to fight against division and strife and disunity. Be aware of it. Be preventative. Keep your eyes open. You have to be united in spirit. You have to be intent on one purpose. These are all deliberate actions. They're all commands, and they all flow from thinking the same way from a biblical point of view. Well, how do you do that more specifically, Paul? Well, here it is. That's verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That's where it starts. You got to think the right way, and that has to issue in unity with those around you, and where you start is with yourself, and that's not being self-centered. In other words, you've got to deny yourself. You can't be self-centered. You can't be uh, bent on your ego, the things you want. Oh, I want this. I want that. But why, why do you go to church, by the way? Why do people go to church? There's a lot of different reasons. There are legitimate reasons to go to church, and there are illegitimate reasons to go to church. Illegitimate reasons to go to church. Uh, I go to church because I want to hear some good music. Really? That's your number one answer? Wow. If that's your number one answer, that's a very self-centered, illegitimate answer. I want to go hear good music? Where's that in the Bible? I, I go to church because I want to get my social needs met. There's another selfish answer, common answer. I want to go because I want to hear, I want to be entertained by a good sermon. Once again, mm, very self-centered thinking. Those aren't the reasons to be a part of the fellowship or go. So Paul's whole emphasis here is it's not about self. Pastor Justin said a little earlier, going, church has nothing to do with us at all. It's all about Christ. We go to the fellowship. We come to corporate worship really 
for biblical reasons that God has gave, given. And number one is we come together with the saints, number one, to worship God, to worship our Savior. Amen? That's why we come to church. That is totally other-oriented. It has nothing to do with us or me. We come to worship our great God, the Savior. Second reason we come to church is to minister to, to serve and bless the other saints, the other believers that are there. Really, that's priority number two. That's right in the book of Hebrews and other places. that We would gather together to stimulate one another for love and good works. It's, then there is reason number three. We come for corporate worship so that we not be, would be entertained or get all of our desires met and fulfilled. That we would come and be fed the word, that we would be edified, that we would be taught, that we would be equipped from the word of God so that in turn we can worship God more fully and purely and also so that we might serve others and also go out into the community and spread the gospel that others might be saved. So the three main purposes from Scripture as to why we go to church have nothing to do with meeting our own personal needs. That's very selfish. So Paul says, don't be selfish. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, again, in the corporate gathering, but rather with lowliness of mind, humility of mind, lowliness of mind, that's thinking lowly of yourself. Raise everybody else above yourself in your mind, deliberately, continually. That's humility. It's not me, 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 I, 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 what you want, what I want. That's the antithesis of Christian virtue. Paul says, no, you need to have a, a, a mind of humility, of lowliness, and specifically regard one another as more important than yourself. There it is. Well, that's hard to do. Well, I didn't get the pew that I wanted. That other person got it. Good. That's what it says. Regard others as more important than yourself. Well, I'm not located next to the air conditioner vent. They are. Well, good, because you should be preferring others other than yourself. Really, it's really practical. And this is what we need to be doing. And then he goes on with the practical model. Yeah, not merely looking out for our own personal interests. So that, that's huge. And this merge and things are new and we don't know what to anticipate. And uh, Well, we haven't, we haven't done it that way at GBF before. Well, we used to do it this way at Creekside. Too bad. New church. New day. Prefer one another. Let's follow God. Let's follow his lead. Let's be obedient to this passage. Let's be humble. Let's prefer others, not our own agenda. Let's not merely look out for the interest of our own personal preferences, but also for the interest of others. And as a result, we would be like Christ. And here's how he did it. And the key is have an attitude like Christ. Again, it starts with the mind. This is very deliberate. Uh, we'll close with this. The attitude and the model of Christ. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We can't live up to this unless we have the attitude of Christ, who was incarnate humility. He's not anymore. He is incarnate glory. But as the suffering servant, he was incarnate humility, being the perfect model, never thinking of himself, always thinking as a servant, deferentially to others, who although he existed in the form of God, he was the God-man. He never ceased to be deity, yet he became a servant, he did not regard equality with the Father to be grasped or clinged on to forever. Verse 7, but he emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a bondservant, by becoming a human being. The infinite became finite. To be a servant, to be a savior, and being made in the likeness of human beings, being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself. He made himself lowly, the king of kings of the universe humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point even of death. It was a sacrificial death, the death on a cross for undeserving sinners. That is the attitude that we need to have, being like Christ. That's what will preserve unity in the truth. Well, how is this possible? We are 
innately sinful. We struggle with the flesh. It is possible for Christians. Verse 13, just remember this beautiful truth. For it is God who is at work in you. Wow. How is that possible? Well, through the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. If you're a Christian this morning, you have the Spirit of God literally living in you, who will never leave you nor forsake you. The same Spirit that created the world out of nothing, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that inspired the Scriptures lives in the Christian. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you don't have the Spirit of God living in you. You have zero power to live a a way that pleases Christ. As a matter of fact, the hand of his wrath is upon you. So if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, this afternoon, I would invite you to bow the knee, to admit that you're a sinner, to cry out to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the only one that can save you from your sins. And the scripture is clear. Jesus came down here as the eternal God, took on a human body purposely, lived a perfect life for 33 years without sin, and then gave his life as a sacrifice for sin by dying on a cross, being crucified on the cross, and while he was on the cross crucified, was absorbing the infinite holy wrath of the Father on behalf of sinners that they might be forgiven. And then he was buried and he rose again from the dead and ascended back into heaven where he currently lives and reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords and is pleading with sinners to repent and come to him that they might be saved. And if that's you, you're not saved today. I plead with you. Cry out to Jesus Christ. Ask for forgiveness. He'll answer that prayer. He will save you when you pray to him and open up your heart. With that, let's go ahead to the Lord in prayer. Uh, just uh, Before I pray, just an announcement next week. We want to invite all of you and guests or whoever, people who aren't here today who are normally here, next week, starting next week for eight weeks during the Sunday school hour at 9.30, the eight elders of Creekside Bible Church each week, one elder will be sharing a little devotional and then their testimony And then after that, some questions and answers so that you can get to know the elders of Creekside Bible Church. We're going to do that for eight weeks in a row. So all the other Sunday school classes from high school on up, they are canceled. There are no adult Sunday school classes. This will be Sunday school class. We will meet right here in this sanctuary, and we'll do that for eight weeks. It's going to be a great way to get to know the elders and shepherds of the church. And it's going to give an opportunity, particularly for our members, to ask questions um, and get to know the shepherds a little bit better. And we hope that after eight weeks, you will have gotten to know your shepherds much better. So that's during the Sunday school hour, 9.30 to 10.40. And then also starting next week, several of the pastors and elders are going to be preaching through Revelations chapter 1 through 3 for nine weeks, nine sermons on what Jesus thinks about the local church. Incredibly practical. So just so you know what's coming, let's go ahead and thank the Lord for our time together. Father, we do thank you for our time together. And we, we are excited. We celebrate the new things that you are doing. We thank you for being the head of the church, the Lord of the church, the Savior of the church, precious body that you have adopted us into the body through believing the gospel. By your grace, we celebrate that great truth as well. We thank you that literally we are in your family. We pray for those who don't know you, that you'd keep working on their hearts, that they might bow the knee and repent and come to know you for who you truly are. And we give you all the praise and glory for this day as we lift up your name. Amen. Thanks, brother. Now I'd like to share from the Word of God as well. 
and I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 2. While you're turning there, if you have a Bible, just a couple of questions for you. This is particularly for the members of Creekside Community Church and the members of GBF Grace Bible Fellowship looking ahead towards this day of emerge, especially when you heard that, oh, we're going to merge. Here's some questions for our members looking back in hindsight or maybe even thinking about evaluating how you were feeling. What are your thoughts or what were your thoughts and your feelings about a potential church merge? Some of you maybe even carried those thoughts and feelings with you for the past six months, 10 months, even all the way up until today. Maybe you're still in this category. What are your thoughts and feelings about a potential church merge? Well, there's a spectrum of answers for every single one of us. We've heard many of them. Some of you have told us along the way. Many of you are excited in a good way. Believing that this is exciting what God is God is doing something and God is doing something amazing. And you had just tremendous enthusiasm about the whole prospect every step of the way. So there's many that fall into that camp. There were definitely some of you who actually had anxiety. Hmm. Oh, wow. What what's the what's this gonna look like? What oh, what does that mean? How is this going to work? and all the anxieties that came with it. That's a true emotion, a true thought. Apprehension was another one. Maybe some of you, I'm talking about members in particular, even had fear at the prospect of the two churches coming together and merging, for whatever reason. We expected all of those. We had heard feedback from all of you on all of those different thoughts and emotions. It's okay. That's why Justin and I, to kick things off, we each wanted to share from the Word of God, really zeroing in on just kind of one thought from one key passage, from the perspective as a a pastor and elder, to help you address your thinking, and also, as a result, address your emotions. Your emotions flow from your thinking. And so our thinking constantly needs to be renewed, informed, corrected from what God thinks. Our thinking needs to be in line with what God thinks. We know what God thinks. He thinks right here. He's written it down for us in the Bible. This is the thoughts of the infinite, almighty God. So we each wanted to share a passage. I told Justin first what my passage was going to be, and then he told me a little later what his was. And it's just I thought it was a beautiful compliment because if you were paying attention to the passage that Justin just read and some of the key verses and imperatives there, the first verse in 14 says, I bow the knee. Who's that? That's Paul. Who was he? He was a pastor. He was a pastor of these people that he loved. So what Justin just preached on was, amounted to a prayer from a pastor for his people. And that's exactly what I wanted this to be for Justin and I. This is kind of a, a devotional thought from God's Word as a, a vision, uh, a prayer, a desire for this church for the next year for the next few months, so that we can get everybody thinking the same and in line with Scripture. And that's our pastoral desire. So Ephesians 3 is very appropriate. That's a pastoral's 
uh, pastoral plea for his people of how I want you to think and behave and act and with respect to your relationship to God. And so they're beautiful compliments. So I want to share from Philippians 2. If I were to summarize Justin's passage, just the main thrust there, a pastor was asking his people to walk, meaning live, live like a Christian. If you're a Christian, then live like a Christian. So that was Pastor Justin's heart's desire for you that we're going to, if you're a Christian, that you're going to live like a Christian the next, starting today and the next year and the next 10 years or whatever until Jesus comes. That's his pastoral desire for you. If you're a Christian, live like a Christian. Especially if you're a member, then live like a Christian. Live like it. That's the exhortation if you're reading carefully in Ephesians 3, which is a beautiful compliment because to what I want to read, Paul's emphasis here. Again, Paul, a pastor, talking to people where he was their pastor. He planted this church in Philippi. He loved these people. They weren't perfect. They were sinful. They had shortcomings. Paul knows it. He had shortcomings. Yet he reveals the mind of God so that they can be one people of God, practically speaking. And so I want to read Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and following. And Paul's desire as a pastor for the Philippians, at least in this passage, is that they would think like a Christian because the word mind comes up repeatedly. Your mind, Philippians 2, verse 2, your, the mind, verse 3, your attitude that has to do with your mind and how you think in verse 5. So that, that's just a beautiful compliment. Pastor Justin, his heart's desire is that if you're a Christian, you would live like a Christian. My heart's desire as a pastor is if you're a Christian, that you would think like a Christian. They go together. We're Christians. We profess to be Christians. We need to think like Christians and live like Christians. So moving forward, Pastor Justin, we can remind people that aren't living right, I'll send them to you. If they're not thinking right, you can send them to me. And when I'm not living right, they can send me to you, and et cetera, et cetera. So, so live like a Christian, think like a Christian. So let's go ahead and look at Philippians 2 and just take away some jewels of, of thought from God himself and his word as to how we can practice these things corporately. There are some things I'm assuming, I'm assuming here, I'm talking to believers here uh, at Creekside Bible Church today. That's who I'm talking to. I'm assuming you're a believer, you're a Christian, and also I'm really honing in on our members. This is my expectation for you. This is my expectation for me and for us as a church body moving forward, that we would think like Christians at the manner that Paul lays out here through the Holy Spirit of God. And because the end result or the byproduct of that is unity, not just unity, but unity in the truth. You can have unity that's not in the truth, right? You can have unity that's horrible. But this is, he's talking about unity in the truth. That's the only kind of unity. There's only one real way to have unity, by the way, from a biblical point of view that I think is key. If I were to, here's a sentence, and i got a blank at the end. You fill it in in your own mind. There can only be, from a biblical point of view, there can only be unity when people blank. It could be one word, several words. What phrase would you stick in there? There can, be only, there can only be unity when people blank. There can only be unity when Christians blank. You might say, uh, well, let's see, when they're believers. There can only be unity when people are believers. Uh, not necessarily. Because there's plenty of Christians living together, going to the same church, and they don't have unity. They have disunity. That was true of every church in the New Testament. Or maybe you're thinking, there can only be unity when people love Jesus. That's a good answer. Jesus is always the right answer. Not in this case. 
You can have believers who truly love Jesus who aren't living in unity. That was true of some of the Philippians. They loved Jesus, yet they weren't living in unity. How do you get to that unity that is desired by God? There can only be true unity in a church when people dress the same. I know churches like that. There can only be unity when people look the same. There's churches like that too. Maybe your skin color, maybe your ethnicity, preserving that homogeneity, thinking that it preserves unity. It doesn't. There can only be unity when people speak the same language. No, not necessarily. What Paul's going to tell us, there can only be unity when, get this, people think the same. Really, it starts there. And Paul says that explicitly here. Let's go ahead and look at it. So my heart's desire for you as one of the pastors, elders here moving forward as Creekside Bible Church, is that we would live in unity, unity in the truth, and that we would always be monitoring how we think, and that we always have to work very hard to bring our thinking in a line with God's thoughts, because our thoughts naturally go astray, and it needs to be subjected to the Word of God. So here's Paul's plea. He's got people in the Philippian church. He loves this church. It's a great church, but he's got people in this church who don't get along. They're fighting with each other. This is a, a, an obedient church, a biblical church, and yet people are squabbling and fighting, and he needs to set the record straight. Wow, you guys need to work on this more deliberately. Therefore, fellow Christians in the church of Philippi here at Creekside Bible Church, therefore, if any, uh, talking to the believers there, therefore, if there is any encouragement or literally exhortation in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ personally, if you are truly a Christian, then consider Christ Jesus the one exhorting you to the following truth. That's what he means. Don't take it as just me, the Apostle Paul, talking to you. Consider Jesus exhorting you, saying this very truth to you. That's what that means. If there is any exhortation in Christ, if you consider Christ your advocate, your Lord, that is a precondition. It's a conditional statement. What's the next one? Well, if there is any consolation of love. Since you say you're Christians, you must have the love of God wrought in your heart through the Holy Spirit, which happened when you were saved, according to Romans 5 and Galatians 5. If you're a Christian, you have the love of God at your disposal. If you're truly a Christian, there is no excuse for you to be squabbling and in strife and fighting with your fellow believers in the local church. Inexcusable. That is not love. It undermines the love of Christ. That's what that means. And he says, if, 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 these are conditional statements, and he's assuming that they are true. I assume that you know Christ, personally. I assume that you have the love of God literally at your disposal through the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's setting them up for success. He's setting them up for no excuses for failure on this. Compromising unity. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, literally, koinonia, if there is any partnership with the Holy Spirit. Once again, if you're truly a Christian and the Holy Spirit literally lives in you, that is true of every Christian. If you're a Christian, it's true of you. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God literally living in you, supernatural power from God himself that will enable you to fulfill the command that he's about to give, and that's to live in unity. So you know Christ, you have the love of God in your heart, you have the Spirit of God literally living in you, who is your partner. If there's any affection and compassion you hurt in your gut about the things that God is hurt about, you love the things that God loves, meaning you should be like-minded. If you're really a Christian, you should be like-minded with God. And if you're like-minded with God and you're like-minded with Jesus, you must be like-minded with fellow believers. That's a mandate. It's not an, an option. 
then if all these things are true about you, in other words, he's saying, if you're really a Christian, then you are obligated to do the following. Make my joy complete. Paul wasn't satisfied. You're saved, amen. You're growing, amen. You ain't there yet. I'm not completely satisfied as a pastor or an apostle. You got to fill up my cup. It's not quite there. We got some squabbling going on. We got some work to do. We got some unity to preserve. So make my joy complete by being of the, and here's the key, being of the same mind. Think alike. That's where it starts. Being of the same mind. That's verse two. You can't get along until you think alike. You can't have true unity until you think the same thing. And the thing that, and what you have to think on, think the same thing about is God's word, biblical truth right here. Starts there. So make my joy complete by, number one, being of the same mind. That's my plea. That's my heart's desire. That's my main exhortation for you this morning and for us as a church moving forward, that we would think the same things about God's word, about the gospel, about biblical truth. It all starts there. If we can't have harmony there, there won't be harmony anywhere else. If we can't have harmony there, the harmony we have elsewhere doesn't even matter. That's secondary. Being of the same mind. Now, when Paul or the New Testament exhorts us as to how we think, that is a command. Therefore, it's an obligation. It's not an option. It's an imperative. When God gives a command, it therefore is obligatory on our part. And if we don't do it, it is sin. It is disobedience. This is a discipline. It takes hard work. We can't be lazy thinkers. That's what he's saying. You need to be of the same mind. You need to be thinking the same things about biblical truth. And if you do that, then you're going to maintain the same love. And you've got to work hard to maintain your love with one another. You've got to fight against division and strife and disunity. Be aware of it. Be preventative. Keep your eyes open. You have to be united in spirit. You have to be intent on one purpose. These are all deliberate actions. They're all commands, and they all flow from thinking the same way from a biblical point of view. Well, how do you do that more specifically, Paul? Well, here it is. That's verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That's where it starts. You've got to think the right way, and that has to issue in unity with those around you, and where you start is with yourself, and that's not being self-centered. In other words, you've got to deny yourself. You can't be self-centered. You can't be uh, bent on your ego, the things you want. Oh, I want this. I want that. But why, why do you go to church, by the way? Why do people go to church? There's a lot of different reasons. There are legitimate reasons to go to church, and there are illegitimate reasons to go to church. Illegitimate reasons to go to church. Uh, I go to church because I want to hear some good music. Really? That's your number one answer? Wow. If that's your number one answer, that's a very self-centered, illegitimate answer. I want to go hear good music? Where's that in the Bible? I I go to church because I want to get my social needs met. There's another selfish answer, common answer. I want to go because I want to hear, I want to be entertained by a good sermon. Once again, mm, very self-centered thinking. Those aren't the reasons to be a part of the fellowship or go. So Paul's whole emphasis here is it's not about self. Pastor Justin said a little earlier, going, church has nothing to do with us at all. It's all about Christ. We go to the fellowship. We come to corporate worship really for biblical reasons that God has gave, given. And number one is we come together with the saints, number one, to worship God, to worship our Savior. Amen? That's why we come to church. That is totally other-oriented. It has nothing to do with us or me. We come to worship our great God, the Savior. Second reason we come to church is to 
minister to, to serve and bless the other saints, the other believers that are there. Really, that's priority number two. That's right in the book of Hebrews and other places. That we would gather together to stimulate one another for love and good works. It's, then there is reason number three. We come for corporate worship so that we not be, would be entertained or get all of our desires met and fulfilled. That we would come and be fed the word, that we would be edified, that we would be taught, that we would be equipped from the word of God so that in turn we can worship God more fully and purely and also so that we might serve others and also go out into the community and spread the gospel that others might be saved. So the three main purposes from Scripture as to why we go to church have nothing to do with meeting our own personal needs. That's very selfish. So Paul says, don't be selfish. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, again, in the corporate gathering, but rather with lowliness of mind, humility of mind, lowliness of mind, that's thinking lowly of yourself. Raise everybody else above yourself in your mind, deliberately, continually. That's humility. It's not me, 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 I, 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 what you want, what I want. That's the antithesis of Christian virtue. Paul says, no, you need to have a a mind of humility, of lowliness, and specifically regard one another as more important than yourself. There it is. Well, that's hard to do. Well, I didn't get the pew that I wanted. That other person got it. Good. That's what it says. Regard others as more important than yourself. Well, I'm not located next to the air conditioner vent. They are. Well, good, because you should be preferring others other than yourself. Really, it's really practical. And this is what we need to be doing. And then he goes on with the practical model. Yeah, not merely looking out for our own personal interests. So that, that's huge. And this merge and things are new and we don't know what to anticipate. And uh, Well, we haven't, we haven't done it that way at GBF before. Well, we used to do it this way at Creekside. Too bad. New church. New day. Prefer one another. Let's follow God. Let's follow his lead. Let's be obedient to this passage. Let's be humble. Let's prefer others, not our own agenda. Let's not merely look out for the interest of our own personal preferences, but also for the interest of others. And as a result, we would be like Christ. And here's how he did it. And the key is have an attitude like Christ. Again, it starts with the mind. This is very deliberate. Uh, We'll close with this. The attitude and the model of Christ. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We can't live up to this unless we have the attitude of Christ, who was incarnate humility. He's not anymore. He is incarnate glory. But as the suffering servant, he was incarnate humility, being the perfect model, never thinking of himself, always thinking as a servant, deferentially to others, who although he existed in the form of God, he was the God-man. He never ceased to be deity, yet he became... A servant, he did not regard equality with the Father to be grasped or clinged on to forever. Verse 7, but he emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a bondservant, by becoming a human being. The infinite became finite. To be a servant, to be a savior, and being made in the likeness of human beings, being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself. He made himself lowly, the king of kings of the universe humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point even of death. It was a sacrificial death, the death on a cross for undeserving sinners. That is the attitude that we need to have, being like Christ. That's what will preserve unity in the truth. Well, how is this possible? We are innately sinful. We struggle with the flesh. It is possible for Christians. Verse 13, just remember this beautiful truth. For it is God who is at work in you. Wow. How is that possible? Well, 
through the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. If you're a Christian this morning, you have the Spirit of God literally living in you, who will never leave you nor forsake you. The same Spirit that created the world out of nothing, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that inspired the Scriptures lives in the Christian. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you don't have the Spirit of God living in you. You have zero power to live a a way that pleases Christ. As a matter of fact, the hand of his wrath is upon you. So if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, this afternoon, I would invite you to bow the knee, to admit that you're a sinner, to cry out to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the only one that can save you from your sins. And the scripture is clear. Jesus came down here as eternal God, took on a human body purposely, lived a perfect life for 33 years without sin, and then gave his life as a sacrifice for sin by dying on a cross, being crucified on the cross, and while he was on the cross crucified, was absorbing the infinite holy wrath of the Father on behalf of sinners that they might be forgiven. And then he was buried and he rose again from the dead and ascended back into heaven where he currently lives and reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords and is pleading with sinners to repent and come to him that they might be saved. And if that's you, you're not saved today. I plead with you. Cry out to Jesus Christ. Ask for forgiveness. He'll answer that prayer. He will save you when you pray to him and open up your heart. With that, let's go ahead to the Lord in prayer. Uh, just uh, Before I pray, just an announcement next week. We want to invite all of you and guests or whoever, people who aren't here today who are normally here, next week, starting next week for eight weeks during the Sunday school hour at 9.30, the eight elders of Creekside Bible Church each week, one elder will be sharing a little devotional and then their testimony. And then after that, some questions and answers so that you can get to know the elders of Creekside Bible Church. We're going to do that for eight weeks in a row. So all the other Sunday school classes from high school on up, they are canceled. There are no adult Sunday school classes. This will be Sunday school class. We will meet right here in this sanctuary, and we'll do that for eight weeks. It's going to be a great way to get to know the elders and shepherds of the church, and it's going to give an opportunity, particularly for our members, to ask questions um, and get to know the shepherds a little bit better. And we hope that after eight weeks, you will have gotten to know your shepherds much better. So that's during the Sunday school hour at 9.30 to 10.40. And then also starting next week, several of the pastors and elders are going to be preaching through Revelations chapter 1 through 3 for nine weeks, nine sermons on what Jesus thinks about the local church. Incredibly practical. So just so you know what's coming, let's go ahead and thank the Lord for our time together. Father, we do thank you for our time together. And we, we are excited. We celebrate the new things that you are doing. We thank you for being the head of the church, the Lord of the church, the Savior of the church, precious body that you have adopted us into the body through believing the gospel. By your grace, we celebrate that great truth as well. We thank you that literally we are in your family. We pray for those who don't know you, that you'd keep working on their hearts, that they might bow the knee and repent and come to know you for who you truly are. And we give you all the praise and glory for this day as we lift up your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.